0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now Isaiah 58, verse 13 through 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight... And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray together. God in heaven, help us to honor the Sabbath the Lord our God, and honor the Lord of the Sabbath. And we pray that the Sabbath would become our delight, and that the Lord would become our delight. We pray, Father, that you would forgive us for our ignorance, and forgive us for our confusion, and forgive us for those times when we have dishonored this day. We thank you for the gift that it is to have a Sabbath rest that was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we pray for your blessing upon this time together, for the strengthening of your church and the salvation of sinners, and for the empowering of the preached word. In Christ's name, amen. I'm in a series on the Ten Commandments, as you likely know. And this is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. We're in the fourth commandment now, and this is the fourth sermon on the fourth commandment fourth sermon on the fourth commandment. First sermon on the fourth commandment, I said that the commandment is still authoritative. The second sermon, I attempted to answer the common objections that come my way or your way when we discuss this particular commandment, which is one that seems to have a lot of confusion surrounding it. The third sermon on the fourth commandment, I explain why we have a shift between the Testaments from a Seventh day Sabbath to a first day Sabbath. That was last week. And today I get to the application. So it's taken four weeks to lay this foundation and this footing. And today we get to the application. As I've mentioned through this series on the Ten Commandments, it's important that when you feel conviction for sin, because the commandments are searching, they search your hearts, that you go right to the Lord. You don't want to leave the church service with a sense of guilt. You want to leave the service with a sense of gratitude because you serve a Lord who forgives your guilt. And so when the commandments bring you conviction and the commandments give you a sense of shame because they are searching your heart, you go right to the Lord who forgives your sin by the blood of the cross. And this should be your practice, not just today, not just as I preach for the Ten Commandments, but every day of your life. The instant that you come under conviction for sin, you should train your heart to run immediately to Jesus who is the Redeemer and the one who forgives our sins. Today, what I'm going to do in this fourth commandment is I'm going to explain the two passages I just read. It'll be the first section. I've divided this this sermon into four sections. And in the first section, the first heading, I'm going to explain Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10, and Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. Then I'm going to explain the history of how this commandment was applied in our own country. Is my second heading. As a third heading, I'm going to talk about how to honor the Sabbath day. And as a fourth heading, I'll answer common questions of application pertaining to the honoring of the Sabbath. Let's look at the first heading, the explanation of Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10, and Isaiah verse 58 through 13 and 14. You want to keep your thumb in both those texts as I go from one to the next. I'll start in Exodus 20, and then I'll move to Isaiah 58. The main thrust of the fourth commandment is that the day, the day that God appoints in the new covenant, the positive, the law is positivized, is made positive in the first day of the week. The main thrust of the fourth commandment is that the day is the day for the Lord. It's for the Lord. So the first, the fourth commandment talks about six days of laboring and We know that six days of work are important. Other parts of the Bible condemn laziness unequivocally. It is a terrible and selfish sin to be lazy. It is evil, vile, and disgraceful to be lazy. And we ought to be working for six days. But the thrust of the commandment is that the one day that is appointed as God's Sabbath is the day of rest. That is the thrust of the commandment. Although it notes the six days of labor... The thrust of it is the rest. And the rest, when it speaks of the thrust, or the thrust is, it, uh, is the rest, and when it speaks of the rest, although that is part of the day, the thrust of the rest is that the rest is for the Lord. Okay? So while the commandment talks about working, and we ought to work six days and seven, and while the commandment talks about rest, and that is certainly part of the Sabbath, the Lord's day, the thrust of the commandment is that the day is for the Lord. It's not your day. It's not your boss's day. It's not your business's day. It's not your family's day. It's the Lord's day. The day is for the Lord. So, for example, in Exodus 20, verse 8, look at what it says. It says, what is it for? Remember the Sabbath day to do what? To keep it holy. There's your first Commandment in this fourth commandment. The the main thrust of it is what? To keep that day holy. That's the main thrust of it. To keep it holy. It's separate. It's consecrated. It's sanctified. And then the verse 10 of that same verse, or that same section in chapter 20 says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. Okay? Okay? So the day specifically belongs to the Lord, and as was the case in verse 2, as was the case in verse 5, as was the case in verse 7, the name of God, the covenantal name of God is invoked. Remember, I spent a lot of time talking about what it means that he is not just the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, but he is the Lord, your God. He is the transcendent one. He is the first cause. He is the self-existent one. He is the one from whom all else derives their existence. And he's not just that, but he's your God. And this is the day for that God, the one who is not only the Lord, but the one who is your God. So verse 8 tells us to keep it holy. And verse 10 tells us that it is a day to the Lord your God. So this is what? This is the Lord's day. The day specifically belongs to the Lord, and the covenantal name of God is invoked within that day. The most important aspect of the day is what is repeated in the text and emphasized in the text, and the most important aspect is not the work, is not the rest, but that it is the day that belongs to God. It's God's day. That's the most important aspect. As Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Is Lord of the Sabbath. And what this means is that the world is to stop on this day, so that he can be worshipped. And notice in verse 10, the seven subjects of the verb. But the, Sabbath, the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then So that word, you shall not do any work, or that verb, not do any work, look at the seven subjects of that verb. Look at what it says. You, or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And what does this indicate? This indicates that the day is a complete cessation from worldly affairs so that all can fix their gaze towards heaven and worship God. With a special emphasis, by the way, in this text on people who are in power. Meaning that the people who are in power, the ones who have servants, male servants and female servants, and the ones who have animals, and the parents who have children, The ones who are in power have a special duty to ensure that the ones under their power have a day of rest. This is what is emphasized in the text. The day is for everyone. So if you want to talk about human rights in the workforce, well, here is a human right that is embedded right in the fourth commandment. And it is the human right to have the Sabbath off of work, okay? This is a matter of liberty and a matter of rights of the individual because this is a universal right that is to given given to everyone, that the Sabbath is to be had off. It is to be a day of rest under the Lord, and there is a special duty placed upon those who have authority to ensure that those who are under their authority have this day off. And so what have we seen here? Well, we see that the day is for the Lord, and that the day is to be applied to everybody equally, with a special emphasis on those who are in authority. And then we get to Isaiah 58, and I want to note a few things from Isaiah 58, which is a call to repent and a call to return to this practice of Sabbath keeping. This day is given, or this the giving of this day to God affects, as we find in Chapter 58 of Isaiah, it affects our actions, it affects our hearts, and it affects our conversations. So it's, it's applying to the whole person in the heart, the conversation, and your actions. So it affects our conversation. If you look at Isaiah 58, verse 13, it says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, or it affects our actions from the doing of your pleasure on my holy day. And so this is a call to forsake the doing of your pleasure, of what you want to do. It goes on in verse 13, and it says, And call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not doing your ways or seeking your own pleasure. And so what is the day for? The day's not for you. The day's not for your family. The day's not for your work. The day's not for your garden. The day's not for your laundry. Right? The day's not for your homework. The day is for the Lord. It's not for your sports team. It's not for Sunday night football. It's for the Lord. That's what the day is for. It's for the Lord. The Lord's day. And then it says, not just, not, it doesn't just affect your actions, but it affects your heart. So you look at verse 13 of Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure... On my holy day and what? And call the Sabbath a delight. So this is a day that is to be the delight of God's people. It's, it's not a day, see, it says, and not seeking your own pleasure. It says, yeah, well, not seeking your own pleasure, but seeking the greatest pleasure. And what's the greatest pleasure? God. For the born-again person, the greatest pleasure that you know is God. So I, so, I so commend to you John Piper's classic book, Desiring God, that explains this whole idea of Christian hedonism, whereby we pursue the greatest pleasure imaginable, which is what? God himself, pursuing him and loving him so that the day itself is about the pursuit of of God, it becomes a delight to us. And then in verse 14 it says, then you shall take delight in the Lord. It is a day for the pursuit of not your pleasures but of the greatest pleasure, which is God himself. So it affects our actions, it affects our hearts, and finally it affects our words because look what it says in verse 13. If you honor, at the end of verse 13, if you honor it, not doing your ways or seeking your own pleasure, are talking idly. And this will mean that on the Lord's day, that the conversation of God's people takes an intentional direction, Godward, okay? So what, what is all this that I've just said? I'm trying to give you the governing principle of the day, and so I... My hope is not that you go home and you make checklists of do's and don'ts for the day. My hope is that the day itself to you has a governing principle so that the application of that governing principle is self-evident. And what is the governing principle of the day? It is the delight in the Lord. It is the day that is given to the delight of God. So it is not a pleasureless day. But it is a day of greatest pleasure, a day where we find the time and set apart the time to pursue our greatest pleasure, which is God himself. Because we get to delight in God intentionally for a whole day. I've had, throughout the course of my ministry, I've had a number of people come to me from time to time and say, boy, I would really like to be a pastor and the reason they give me is often because they say, well, I'd love to go to seminary and spend every day studying theology and studying God and studying the Bible. And I'd love to spend so much of my time immersed in studying the Scriptures and, and learning the Scriptures that pastors get to do. And, and I can honestly say it is, it is the greatest joy of my job, the greatest joy of my calling is to spend so much time in God's Word and spend time studying God and learning about God. But this is what the Lord's Day is for for God's people. It is the day when you get to immerse yourself in God. When God becomes or is seen and perceived and beheld is the greatest delight. So that John Bunyan was able to comment on the Lord's Day and say, Alas, the first day of the week is the Christian's market day. That which they solemnly trade in for sole provision for all the week following. This is the day that they gather manna in. So, some of you might have went to the market yesterday. And St. Jacob's Market, or maybe you went to the grocery store. And you filled your fridge and your cupboards with the food that you need for the whole week. So that you can eat, and even that you can eat today. Have a nice meal today, and your families can have a nice meals throughout the week. Well, the Lord's Day is the Christian's market day. This is when you go to the market for your soul, not for your food, but for the manna that comes down from heaven, and you fill your soul with the food of God and then draw from those storehouses all week. This is the Christian's market day for the soul. As Matthew Henry said, the Sabbath day is a market day, a harvest for the soul. This is what the Lord's day is. And so what is the governing principle of this day as I have examined these two texts of Scripture? Exodus 20, verse 8 to 10, and Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. The governing principle of the day is delight in God. That's what it is. The day's focus is on the delight of God. As you look at those texts, this is a day that is given to that. You'll have times throughout your week where it's given to dealing with your clients. There'll be times throughout the week that'll be given to studying the stock markets or reviewing your investments or or planning for the future of your business. But this is the day that you're given to the delight of the Lord and to delighting in God himself, the Lord's Day. So moving on from that, let's look at a bit of history of the Sabbath in our own country, in Canada, to our second heading here. A history of the Sabbath in Canada. And it wasn't long ago that all major denominations in Canada would have, would have practiced this. They would have encouraged their people and told their people to set aside this one day. And as a boy, actually, I, I remember I was a newspaper carrier for the Guelph Mercury, the city of Guelph. And I remember, as, I remember very clearly when the Guelph Mercury decided to have their paper carriers deliver papers on Sunday and print papers on Sunday. Up until then, they hadn't printed papers on Sunday. And then all of a sudden, we were called on to print papers on Sunday and deliver papers on Sunday. And I remember the level of controversy that erupted in the community when that shift was made. I remember all stores being closed on Sunday. It was like a Uh, A one-day-in-seven statutory holiday every week, just like on Good Friday or on Canada Day or on um, Christmas Day or New Year's Day, the stores are all closed. Well, that was the case on the Lord's Day in this country, and I remember it very clearly. And at the time of Confederation in 1867, all the colonies that became Canada had Lord's Day laws as provincial laws. So at at every, every one of the colonies that became Canada, including Upper Canada, which was Ontario. In 1903, so if Confederation happened in 1867, in 1903, the courts, which the highest court in the land was then in London, England, the courts struck down the Lord's Day Act, not because they thought that the Lord's Day Acts in Canada were immoral, but because they believed that the Lord's Day should be criminal law, not provincial law. And so up until 1903, it was just provincial law. Well, the Supreme Court struck it down and said, no, this is criminal law. It needs to be dealt with on a criminal level. And so the federal government in 1906, in response to that Supreme Court ruling, passed the Lord's Day Act. So it became federal criminal law to dishonor the Sabbath by opening your shop and working on the Lord's Day. That law was challenged in 1912. There was a railroad company in Hamilton that challenged it in 1912. And the Supreme Court, again, ruled in favor of the Lord's Day Act. So it upheld the Lord's Day Act in 1912. And listen to what Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Sir Charles um, Fitzpatrick, said of the Canadian Lord's Day Act in 1912. He said in his ruling, his majority ruling, that Christianity is part of the common law of the realm, that the observance of the Sabbath is religious duty. And it was that principle that he grounded his upholding of the Lord's Day Act in 1912 in this country. And so this is, this is the heights from which we have fallen as a nation. Every province had a Lord's Day law, 1867 at Confederation. The Supreme Court struck it down in 1903 because they believed that it should be criminal law, not provincial law, for it was in the Ten Commandments that it was found. And then the federal government passed the Lord's Day Act in 1906, and in 1912 it was upheld in, in the Supreme Court, whereby the Chief Justice acknowledged that the common law of the realm is indebted to Christianity and the observance of the Sabbath as a religious duty. It was challenged again in 1963 and once again upheld by the Supreme Court. So, a generation or two later, in 1963, the Supreme Court upheld the Lord's Day Act in Canada. Well, of course, in 1982, we received a new part of our Constitution, which is the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that was brought into being under the leadership of Pierre Elliott Trudeau, and that opened the way for the doing away of all of our Christian heritage and the gutting of the Christian heritage of this country so that then again in 1985, when the, when the Lord's Day Act was challenged, the Supreme Court in 1985 then struck it down. So it was upheld in the early part of the 20th century. It was upheld in the 1960s. But then all of a sudden in 1985, because of the new charter and because the will of the people was no longer behind this, the Supreme Court of Canada cut it down, and it was no longer part of our um, legal code federally. It was no longer a criminal act to open up shop on the Lord's Day and work on the Lord's Day. You know, in the United States, that when they first started doing Sunday nights football and Super Bowl Sunday, the NFL received a massive amount of criticism because they never thought they would be able to market Football on Sunday to the people of the United States because they were a Christian people. Who would ever give up a Sunday night at church to watch the Super Bowl? And the people were aghast that the NFL would ever do such a thing and couldn't and didn't believe that the Super Bowl would ever be able to be marketed on a Sunday evening in the United States. And so there's a bit of history as far as our own country goes and our own culture goes. And so what I've done is I've looked at Exodus 20 and Isaiah chapter 58, and then and I've tried to apply it and give you the governing principle of the Sabbath, which is to delight in the Lord. And now I've looked at the history. And now what I want to do is I want to, is I want to go into some really kind of nuts and bolts application. How do you honor the Sabbath? How do you honor it? And what I've done is I've hopefully given you this governing principle, which is to delight in the Lord. He is the God of the Sabbath. But imagine this. Imagine this. You work all week, and you earn a living, and that's when you're doing your job, and you're taking care of your housework. And then Saturday comes. You have a two-day weekend, so Saturday comes, and this is the day to get caught up on the projects around the house, and this is the day to take care of your gardening and to take care of your lawn, and this is the day that you prepare for Sunday. It's the day you wash your car or do whatever you have to do or cut the grass. And then you go to bed early on Saturday night and you get up early on Sunday, feeling well rested and you get up and you pray on Sunday and you read the scriptures Sunday morning, feeling rested, right with the Lord. And then you take your family to church, come home from church, have a tasty meal with your family for lunch. Maybe it's roast beef, maybe it's a casserole, maybe it's a stew or steak. Your conversation with your family over lunch centers around the sermon centers on the things of God, what the Lord is teaching you, what you've read in the Bible this week, your delight in the Lord. And then you have dessert. And then maybe you have a couple helpings of dessert because it's a special day after all. So why not have an extra serving of ice cream on the Lord's Day? Because it's, and this is the day that the kids should have dessert. This is the day that you should have an uh, enjoyable, delicious meal and splurge a little bit, and they sing three or four hymns, maybe, together, read a portion of Scripture, have a nap, go for a walk, and then come back to church to finish the day with thanksgiving and worship. In my mind, that would be the ideal Lord's Day. That would be the ideal Lord's Day. And how much better would the world be if this is the, was, the, was the consistent practice of our culture? How much better would things be? It's interesting that when they got rid of the Lord's Day Act, I, I, I heard a, a small business owner back in the 90s say that he didn't believe he made any more money when he had to open up on Sunday. Of course, he didn't have to open up on Sunday, but he felt the pressure to do it. But he said that, look, everyone's going to spend the same amount of money. Now I just have to hire someone an extra day of the week. They're all going to do their shopping. Used to be they do their shopping on Saturday, but now they're going to spread it out across two days, now I have to employ my shop for two days, right, as opposed to just one day. So I don't know that it made employers any extra money. In fact, I doubt that it did. In fact, I suspect that it made them less money because now they had to employ people for two days of the weekend as opposed to one, or at least they felt they had to. They didn't have to. And when it comes to the practice of the Lord's Day, I think there's two ditches that you can fall into on either side two ditches. And, and the first ditch is the ditch that I've kind of been pushing against so far in the sermon. And it's, Sunday's just a day like any other. It's a day where we run the roads. It's a day where we do our shopping. It's a day where we get our hair done. It's a day where you um, do your grocery, buy your groceries. It's a day where you get your gas. It's a day where you do your home renovation and cut your lawn. It's a day like any other. That's the first ditch. And then the second ditch on the other side that you can fall into is it becomes a suffocating day of extra rules and formalism that I actually think the previous generation, some of the previous generation of Christians fell into. And so there seems to be a distaste in the mouths of some Christians today for the honoring of the Lord's Day because what they remember is not the joy of the Lord's Day, not the delight in the Lord's Day, And not the specialness of the Lord's Day and the excitement of the Lord's Day, but the stifling effect of legalism and formalism on the Lord's Day. It became a day where you had to be careful that you just not breathe too heavily almost, which might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I suspect that there's some in this room that remember growing up, and that might have been the case. It became the most dreaded day of the week because it was the day where you had to sit there and do absolutely nothing, and how much more fun would it be to be at school on Monday where you can at least run around a couple times a day, right, and be with your friends. And so you have two ditches you can fall into. One is that Sunday is just like any other day, and the other one is it becomes a suffocating day of extra rules, formalism, and that just really stifles children and turns them off this gift of the Lord. Because you remember what Jesus taught us, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this day ought to be received as a gift. It's a joy. It's a great gift. And, you got, and that brings you back to the heart of the day, which helps you avoid the two ditches. It's a day of delight. You're to delight in the day, and then the delight in the day leads to the delight in the Lord. It's a day that you look forward to. And so the heart is the heart of pursuing the greatest pleasure, which is God. And the actions are actions of resting from your labors, worshiping with God and fellowshipping with His people. And the words are intentional conversations about Christ, about the scriptures, about the sermon, about the hymns that were sung, about the soul, resting from the discussions about business or politics, the markets, about the week to come, and instead focusing on the Lord and the goodness of the Lord and what you are thankful for on the Lord's day. And so... Instead of the day becoming, you get to the application, how do you honor the Sabbath? And, it, and it, What must I do or what can't I do on the Lord's day? The question is, what do I get to do? And once you start going down one of those avenues, what do I have to do? Or what am I not allowed to do? You, you start to lose your focus. And, and what you should be asking is, what do I get to do on this day? What do I get to do? And I get to rest from my work. The children should get to rest from their homework. The students should get to rest from their studies. This is not the day to have the kids cut the grass. This is not the day to do the home renovations projects. This is the day to rest And to enjoy the company that is around you. And it is a day to enjoy the fellowship of the church. It is a day to enjoy the singing of hymns together. It is a day to enjoy the preached word. It is a day to go home and apply the preached word with those around you. And some of you are single. Some of you don't have any children in your home. And you say, well, how do I honor the day after I leave church? Well, have people in your home. Spend Saturday cleaning your home and preparing a nice meal. And invite a bunch of people into your home the, on the on the Sunday to enjoy your home with you and have a great day. And maybe there's some in the in the church, and you think, well, i I've got a little bit of extra time on Sunday because I'm 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 single and I'm not I don't, I have the the afternoon. And what am I going to do for this day? And nobody invites me out. Well, spend Saturday cleaning your home and preparing a really nice meal, and then have a whole bunch of other single people over to your house on Sunday. And show hospitality. It's a day to open your home to God's people. And I remember during the COVID times, um, this place, uh, 1373 Lobsinger Line in Waterloo, was the greatest party within 100 miles. Okay? It was the greatest party. There was no party like it. Nowhere around. It might have been the greatest party in the whole province of Ontario, for all you know. Biggest province in Canada. Well, I think that that should be the case with your homes on Sunday afternoon. Why why is it such a party there? Why is there such excitement there on Sunday? Why do they so enjoy being together? Well, because it is the Lord's Day. It's a day of celebration, it's a day of feasting, it's a day of enjoying that extra piece of dessert, it's a day of singing together, it's a day of enjoying each other's presence. And it's a day of resting from your worldly labors, from resting, from shopping, from buying, from selling, from laundry, from yard work. You get to rest from those things. And some of you will come and you'll say, well, but I really enjoy my gardening. I really enjoy my yard work. It is rest for me. Well, hold on a second. What is the day for again? This is forsaking your own pleasures and pursuing the pleasures of God on the day. And so this is what the day is for. And some of you come and you hear me talk about this, and say, "Well, I got so much work to do. I own my own business. You don't know what it's like to to have this level of work to do, and how busy I am with all the things I have going on and all the bills that I have to pay." Do you, do you know what this? You know what I learned is it, as I've as I've tried to apply this in my own life over the years. And you've got, you know, like I've got six kids, and we've got a busy house, and a growing church, and there's a lot of things to do. And, but, it, but I've learned that the, the things that can get done on Sunday afternoon when we go home at the end of the day and we have time together and everything else, it's an, actually an act of faith to say, I believe that God will give me what I need to, be, to get done what I need to get done in seven days. He'll give me the ability to get done in six days. That's what it is. So you, just like the Israelites had to trust him for enough manna, they didn't harvest any manna on the, on, the, on, the, on the Sabbath. So you need to do the same. And you say, hey, I know there's things to get done. And, and what it'll do is it'll force you to manage your time better during the week, and it'll force you to trust God. And, and so people that are like, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work, I got to work on the Sabbath, those are people that are not trusting God. They're thinking they have to take matters into their own hands. But it's an act of faith to release that to the Lord, to release that pressure to the Lord and say, I will get done what God wants me to get done in the six days that he gives me to work. I'll get it done. Because I have enough faith to believe that he will bless my labor with fruitfulness by taking this one day as a day of rest. I'll give you a little illustration of this in my own life. And several years ago, some of you know, we sold our house. And we sold our house in Cambridge and moved up this way. And and we sold, we 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 bought a house before we had sold our house. Okay, some of you have done that. You remember it's a bit of a pinch sometimes because the market was really hot then. And so you had to you had to put in an unconditional offer on the home that you wanted without having your other house sold. So we saw a home we wanted, we saw a home we liked. We knew we could afford it if we sold our house, and so we put an unconditional offer on it, but then we had to sell our house in Cambridge in order to get that house. And we told a real estate agent, we said, look, she's like, well, what do you want to do with bully offers and all this other stuff? We said, you know, you can call us any day of the week, but don't talk to us on Sunday. That's our family's day. That's our Lord's day. That's that's the Sabbath day. Just leave us alone on Sunday. And of course, she's eager to help and so on. And so, and we're feeling the pinch, we're feeling the stress, we've got to sell this house, what's going to happen, there's not as many offers coming in on it as we thought there would be. And she calls us on Sunday afternoon, and, and we're stressed out, and she says, I got someone who has a bully offer for you, they want you to look at it by tonight, will you look at it? And what do you think we said to her? We said, no. She said, well, you're going to lose the offer, and then you're going to be in a pinch this week. No. No. We don't want to see it. We told you we want to honor this day, and we want to honor the Lord of this day. And so she left us alone, and then we sold the house the Wednesday for the price that we wanted to sell it for, okay? You see what I'm saying? Is is when you give this day to the Lord, it's an act of faith. What you're doing is you're saying, what God wants me to get done, I will get done in six days, What he wants me to get done, I will get done in six days. Honoring the Sabbath is an act of faith. And there's a special responsibility on those who have authority. There's a responsibility on government to protect the people from being abused to work on the Sabbath day. There's a special authority on fathers and husbands to keep their family restful on this day. And there's a special responsibility on business owners. And when asked to who this applies, William S. Plumer, in his commentary on God's Law, this book called The Law of God or God's Law, he says, "...it applies to all, and in particular to those whose word controls the actions of others." Some of you are in that place of responsibility. Your words control the actions of others. You're heads of households, you have businesses, you have employees, there's people under your care... And your word controls the actions of others. And when your word controls the actions of others, then you have a special duty to ensure that the others under your care can carve out that day. So I remember when we started our church renovation projects here. And, and what do you need when you do a church renovation project? Volunteers. And when are volunteers available? On the weekend. Like... Sunday afternoon, and the elders made a conscious decision that we're, there will be no renovation work on the Lord's Day. There will be none. Why? Because we wanted to set this example and honor this day. and And I need to. We need to commend certain business owners who practice this. And some of you have bought pizza from Family Time Pizza in Drayton, haven't you? And they sell very good pizza, but they, you know. Bonnie needs to be commended for shutting down shop on Sunday in a very competitive environment to give her employees a day of rest. And the Lord seems to be blessing the industry and the faithfulness in that particular case as they provide a high-quality food at a good price in a clean environment. But this is, and there's other business owners in the church who do the same thing. And they say, nope, my employees will not be working today And this is the day where I'm going to give them a rest because they understand the special burden that God puts on them is people whose words control things. And so in our home, for example, and I'm not saying what you need to do in your home because remember, there's a guiding principle. I'm not here to provide you a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. There's a guiding principle. But in our home, what we do is we typically only have two meals. And so we have breakfast and a late lunch. Which means that mom has a break in the evening. And I know that there's a number of people in the church, if the kids get hungry in the evening, they just make popcorn. And it's a nice little snack, and they wake up with a healthy attitude, appetite for breakfast the next day. But it gives mom a break in the evening, and it means the kids don't have to clean two sets of dishes, just one set of dishes. And the dishes are there, and so... The fact that so many, however, and oh, by the way, speaking of meals, I think crock pots are a wonderful innovation (laughs) for especially the Lord's Day because you can put stuff in the crock pot the night before. And then there it is. You can have a whole bunch of people over for Sunday lunch, and you, especially in the wintertime, you can have a delicious stew or a delicious chili. And everyone likes stew or chili on a cold day right you can figure out how to use those crock pots in other ways that will give you nice summer meals like soups and what have you we had meatballs in the crock pot last weekend okay which are very helpful pieces of equipment but the fact that so many are pressured by their employers to work sunday indicates that we are not a free people just remember that we're slaves Because there is a special onus on those in authority to ensure that their employees are free. Free on the Lord's Day. The wording of the text gives them this special employee. So that those in authority are to ensure that those under their authority are able to rest on this day. The state has a role to ensure that each Sunday is a statutory holiday... And parents should not be letting their kids work on Sunday. With my kids, I've always encouraged my kids to have jobs. And if they don't have jobs, they hear about it from me on a regular basis till they get a job. And this is something that happens because they need to be responsible and be taught how to work hard. Right? So it is embedded in this commandment, six days you shall labor. And so you, you parents who aren't teaching your kids to work, you're doing them no favors. And you're preparing them for a life of dependency. Okay. And I've always taught my kids to work, and they've had jobs, and some of them have had multiple jobs at one time. But I've had one rule. Well, there's multiple rules, but one big rule. (laughs) One big rule. No working Sunday. It's not just no working Sunday morning, no working Sunday. I'm not driving you around on Sunday. I'm not running the roads on Sunday. There's no working in this house on Sunday. None. None. Okay, and if I wasn't a preacher, it'd be the same rule. Because I see the value of the day, the goodness of the day, and the principles that that teach the children, because there will be no work on Sunday in my home. Monday to Friday ought to be the days you earn a living, and even Saturday if you want to, but this is how a good, uh, this is a good way to structure your week. I'm not mandating it here. But I think it's wise to structure your week so that you're working hard Monday through Friday. Saturday is for shopping and chores and getting gas and yard work and prepping for Sunday. That's what Saturday's for. So we're blessed to live in a country where we have a five-day work week because then Saturday can be used to catch up around the house and to prepare for Sunday. Sunday is for worship. Sunday is for fellowship, Sunday is for food, Sunday is for friends, Sunday is for rest, and most importantly, Sunday is for God. It is God's day. And, and I think you ought to be careful what you talk about on Sunday, right? Because the temptation is to talk about everything you else talk about. And, and I, think, I think there needs to be a special care at church. Because at church, you're, you're rubbing shoulders with people that you don't rub shoulders with throughout the week. You're rubbing shoulders with professionals who can give you professional advice on things. Okay. You're running, rubbing shoulders with tradesmen who can give you advice on your home projects that you're working on. You're rubbing shoulders with people who are very resourceful and have a lot of information that you can benefit from. And I don't think Sunday's the day where you run up to them and ask them for advice on professional issues or on um, their issues of the trade that they specialize in. I think it's the day where you let them come to church and worship the Lord, and you talk about the sermon, and you pray with each other, and you rejoice with each other, and you enjoy each other's presence without burdening each other with the jobs of the week. This is the day for the Lord. It's the day for the Lord, and I think it's an act of respect for each other that this not become the day, just because you're together, that it not become the day where you you know, pump people for information in their various trades or in their various professional areas of expertise. Call them on Monday, right? And ask them on Monday. And then that way they can enjoy the church service and enjoy the Lord. You know, years ago, as a final point of application on how to honor this day, years ago it would have been unthinkable to not have an evening service on a Sunday. You know that? And some of you remember that. It would have been unthinkable to not have an evening service on a Sunday. And some of you remember the controversies that erupted in churches when they canceled their evening services. And I think rightfully so. And I think this is something we need to think about as a church, getting back to this. I I listened to a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson on this not too long ago on the Internet. And Sinclair Ferguson said, he said, you, you know how well the Sunday morning service went by how many return Sunday evening. Because Sunday evening is the after glory. Were people Were the affections of the people moved towards God in the morning? And if they were moved towards God in the morning, they will want more of God in the evening. That's the question. And so I think we ought to think about this. And it ought to be... A matter of discussion. One of my philosophies, however, as a pastor, when it comes to implementing changes like this, is I don't like to implement changes, and if I implement the change, people are going to be like, well, why are we doing this? I'd rather implement the change when people are asking me, why aren't we doing this? Okay? So if there's all of a sudden a need and a bunch of questions being asked, why don't we have a Sunday evening service pastor? Well, then we'll know that the people want it. You understand? But I think you measure, I think Sinclair Ferguson is right. Like It's not a half-day Sabbath, it's a full-day Sabbath. So we we praise the Lord in the morning, we have our times together in the afternoon, and we return to thank the Lord for the day in the evening and pray for the week. And to me, this would be the ideal Lord's Day. And so there's some principles, there's some ideas, there's some thoughts on how to honor the day. The day that the Lord has made, the Sabbath day. Let me answer some questions. I've, I've made, I've drawn a, a very clear principle from Exodus 20 verses 8 through 10 and Isaiah 58 verse 13 through 14. I've given some history. I've talked about how to honor the day and now I want to answer some questions about the day. And one of the questions that will have, have no doubt come out is what works are permitted on Sunday? What works are permitted? And there's a, it's a good principle that you derive from Scripture. And the works that are permitted are works of necessity and works of mercy. Right? Is it necessary to do? Like some of you have farm animals that need to be cared for. Well, that's necessary, right? Or, or some of you have to, you know, we have to drive to church. Well, that's necessary to get to church. Now, some of you, you know, if you don't milk the cows on Sunday, well, they're gonna, there's going to be problems, right? It's going to affect their ability to produce milk. And so this has to be done. These are works of necessity. And then works of mercy, You know, doctors work on Sunday for a reason because people need to be cared for and nurses have to work on Sundays and ambulance drivers and fire truck drivers and snowplow operators. You know, these these are acts of service to the community so that we can function as healthy individuals and get on the roads and so on. Comforting the sick, feeding the poor, caring for the injured. These are all works of mercy, And by the way, if you can feed your farm animals on Sunday, you should ought to be able to feed your family on Sunday. And so food preparation is important. However, I fear when you say these things, that people say, okay, well then, they they get the legalistic mindset that comes up, and they say, okay, I can get a whole bunch of things done on Sunday now, but here's what you should do. You should try to get the things done the other six days. And if you have to do it on Sunday, do it on Sunday. There's some things that have to be done. But don't use the idea of works of necessity and works of mercy. Don't use them as an excuse to get things done on Sunday, which you know you could have gotten done another day. Right? You know what you could have gotten done another day. And so what works are permitted on Sunday, works of necessity and works of mercy. What if my boss makes me work on Sunday? What if my boss makes me work? Do you know that even in the text I've mentioned this of the fourth commandment, the emphasis is on those in authority? So there's a more of a burden on your boss than on you. You see that right in the text. But you should be working to get the day off. And John Frame in his systematic theology addresses this, and this is what he says. I found it very helpful. He said, "A Christian who can support his family in no other way than by Sabbath work is in bondage in a way. He's a slave." He should seek to be free according to the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21. But while in bondage, he should serve his master faithfully. How do you know if you're in bondage? Pharaoh will not let you worship. It's an act of slavery. It's an act of slavery. You know, I I read um, a commentary on the fourth commandment that was written by a Presbyterian minister in the pre-Civil War South. Okay. And so he was dealing with people that owned slaves. And he said in his commentary, he said, the masters of the home have to ensure that their servants are invited to the dinner table and given a comfortable seat at the dinner table. A comfortable seat. Because there is a special burden placed on those in authority. All right. But if you can get the day off, get the day off and work hard to get the day off. Pray about it and so on. Now, what about farmers? Well, I already mentioned that. You got to get done what has to be done by necessity on Sunday, and sometimes that means milking the cows, or I guess it always does, and feeding the chickens or whatever has to be done. But leave the rest and stuff for the rest of the week. Make sure your workers can get to church and have as much of the day off as possible But everybody understands, and even the Lord Jesus talked about how animals even need to be cared for on Sunday. I mean, I feed my dog on Sunday. Why wouldn't you feed your cows and your chickens and your hens and so on? What about sports? My kids have played organized sports, but they've never been so important to warrant driving them around on Sunday. And that would be the case whether as a preacher or not. I don't see how you can let sports teams dictate your schedule on the Lord's Day. I don't see that. It's the Lord's Day, not the team's day. I'm against that. Now, there seems to be something distinct from children throwing a ball around in the yard to blow off steam, which doesn't trouble me. But if the game or the team is the controlling element of the day, then that's the problem. The question is, is what's the controlling element of the day? Is it the delight in the Sabbath or is it something else? Are you coming to church so that you can rush around after church and drive kids to this game or that practice or whatever have you? I mean, there's even people who will miss church because their kids have hockey games or basketball games or baseball games. Well, we got it because they'll be cut from the team. What's that telling your kids about the priority of worship? The kids learn that, and remember what I talked about, under the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but under the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, showing blessing to them, right? So, I am 100% against the organized sports on Sunday because they shouldn't be dictating the agenda of the day. But if kids need to blow off steam and Have a good time throwing a ball around? Well, your family can decide how best to apply the principles of Lord's Day there, but I'm not opposed to that. How do I implement this in my family, you might ask? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a few regrets as a father. And one of my greatest regrets as a father is that I neglected the Sabbath when I had young children, when my children were much younger. This is one of my greatest regrets. I didn't set the tone for the day. And so this is something that I've had to shift slowly and carefully in my family over the years because it's a failure of mine when they were much younger. These are not principles that I learned, nor are they principles that I taught, nor are they principles that I upheld, and this is a great regret that I have. And maybe you're like that, and you're like, well, my family's mature, and how do I start to implement this now? Well, you'll do it slowly. But I'll tell you how I've done this. I started ensuring that all were home for lunch. We never let kids miss church. I mean, that's never been an issue for us. But if it's an issue for you, you need to repent of that, and the kids need to be in church. It's your responsibility as a dad to get your kids in church. But if you're not getting them in church, you need to repent, you're failing. This is your job. They need to be here. So this is the big thing getting them in church. But as far as the rest of the day, you need to work with them on that. if you haven't implemented this in your life. And so I just started ensuring that everyone was home for lunch and it was a special lunch time and we made it an event, and there was dessert, and there was good food, and there was good drinks, and they had to be there, and we made it worth it. And, and we would sing some hymns afterwards, and then when the hymns were sung, the kids can go and blow off the steam that they need to blow off for the rest of the day. I've highly discouraged and frowned upon homework on Sunday. It's crazy, you know? Every other day, kids will complain about having to do homework, but then when you say don't do homework on Sunday, they'll say, "Well, I'm stressed about Monday. Every other day, it's, I don't want to do a homework. It's so funny how that works, you know. But it is what it is, and it's the job of the father to set the tone. And, and if you're a father and you haven't led your family properly here, you need to repent and slowly redirect the ship. Slowly, the younger your children are, the easier it will be to redirect the ship, to change course. The older they are, the bigger ship you have. And so sometimes if you have a really big ship, and you want to change course, you you just don't want to capsize the ship because you're turning it so quickly. You have to do it graciously and gently and carefully, and you have to model it with your own life. And God will guide you as you seek him. But the day cannot become about what we must do or what we can't do, but about what we get to do. It's about what we get to do. And so I've tried to give you some application here today. What I've tried to do is I've explained Exodus 20 and Isaiah 58. I've given you some history. I've talked to you about how to honor the Sabbath. I've answered some questions. And what we need to do is Isaiah chapter 58 tells us is we need to call the Sabbath a delight. In Isaiah 58, that comes with a promise because in verse 14 tells us, it tells us if we call the Sabbath a delight in verse 14, it says, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Our hearts shouldn't consider this a burden, but we might rather consider it a burden that we can't do this every day. In fact, Matthew Henry said, should we not rather wish that every day were a Sabbath and that we might always dwell in God's house with them that are still praising him? Or as Jonathan Edwards said, the Christian Sabbath is one of the most precious enjoyments of the visible church. When we learn to delight in this day, there's great promises for the people of God. And we've often failed to delight in this day. To us, it's become a day of work, or a day of planning for next week, or a day of rushing to sporting events, or a day of shopping, or choring, or yard work, or renovations, or overtime. But that's not the purpose. It's a Sabbath day, it's a day of joy, it's a day of feasting, it's a day of laughter, it's a day of singing, it's a day of worship. It's a day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord, it's the Lord's day. And this is the day when we rest from our worldly labor, we gather for worship and we enjoy his blessings. This is the day. So try to make the best of the day. Repent for your failures. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy. Make the Sabbath a delight for you. Make it a delight for your family. Order your week around worship and consider the Sabbath a delight. For then you shall delight in the Lord and he will make you ride on the heights of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to order our time according to your will. Forgive us for the times when we fail. And please, Lord, teach us your ways. In Christ's name, amen.